0: This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you.
1: Hi, I'm Madigan, and you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Hello, hello everybody. How are we doing today? Oh, life is wild. Life is good. I hope all of you are ready for another week ahead of you. I am gonna be busy, 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 busy because I am gonna Going on a road trip in a couple of weeks to visit both mine and Max's family in Kansas. And on the way, we're going to make quite a few stops. We're bringing Penny along with us. It's going to be so much fun. And we're going to be gone for like over a week. And I'm going to be bringing a lot of my podcasting stuff with me. But at the same time, I want to make sure that I have as much work done beforehand as possible so I can enjoy myself. I do want to mention before I forget at the top of this episode that, unfortunately, I was expecting to get the Patreon episode up by Wednesday. Forgetting that Monday, today, if you're listening, the day this episode comes out, is mine and Max's anniversary. It's our five-year anniversary, so we're going to be out of the house for most of the day, enjoying ourselves and enjoying each other. So I am going to be having the second episode covering the feminine mystique up by Thursday instead of the previously scheduled Wednesday, I apologize, but this is the way it's going to have to fit in. I'm doing my best, especially because if you didn't listen to this week's mini episode, I somehow stumbled upon working at a pizza place on the weekends. So now half of my days on Saturdays and Sundays are taken up. So ooh, it's going to be interesting. We'll see how long that job actually lasts with how much I've got going on. But if you're interested in joining us for the Angry Feminist Book Club, you can go to patreon.com slash angry neighborhood Feminist. You can join the Angry Feminist Book Club for $5 a month. But if you also want to get some extra stuff, get these episodes ad-free, you can become a feminist fave at the $8 level. And I just got a message from someone recently who suggested a name for the advice segment that I really, really like. And I I don't know if I'm going to go with it yet, but let me know what you think. Mad Gavin with Madigan. I was like, oh my God, I love a rhyme. That's amazing. So if you are interested in receiving any sort of advice from me or whatever, you can expect that new segment to be in the feminist faves level of patreon as well secondly i'm not going to go off on a whole thing about it but if you haven't listened to the new show that i'm co-producing still learning with my friend india oxenberg i highly suggest you do so there's two episodes out now and new episodes are going to be released every friday so if you haven't checked out that show yet i highly recommend it very very proud of it i think it is a fabulous show and I think that's everything that I need to fill you in on. I kind of feel like I'm forgetting something, but I don't I don't know what that something would be. So this week I wanted to discuss the concept of bisexual erasure because it is bisexual visibility week. And originally I was going to cover some famous bisexual people through time and I was really enjoying it. But during my research of these individual people, I started to become really interested in bisexual erasure because it was so much of what a lot of these people were fighting against or it was so much a part of a lot of their stories. And to start off the episode, did you know that bisexual people are least likely to come out A poll released in 2021 showed that 3.1% of adults in the United States identify as bisexual. Younger adults are more likely to identify as such with 5.1% of millennials and 11.5% of Gen Z adults reporting that they're bisexual. I feel like that's something that we're seeing in especially maybe right-wing media where it's like, why are there so many people who are gay or trans or like, why are there so many people coming out right now? And I think the reason for that is, is because we're slowly moving toward a time where it's more acceptable to do so. Gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer people have existed since the beginning of time. This isn't a, you know, societally molded thing, in my opinion. This is just who a person is. It's just the fact that for So, so long and still to this day, it's very, very dangerous to come out. It's dangerous to be yourself when you are a part of the LGBTQ plus community. But the dangers have lessened quite a lot in that time and people are more likely to come out and be proud because of the numbers of people that have come out before them so it's just a movement that's continuing to grow and that's why you're seeing more and more people come out and you're starting to see people come out later in life for that same reason I've had a few friends in my life and I've heard many stories of people who have had a parent where they were married to the opposite sex and they had a family and lived most of their lives as a straight representing person but then later in life they came out and their family split up and you know all of that kind of stuff and I feel like historically especially in religion I had a friend who was Mormon whose father came out as gay and that was a whoo that was a big deal we met in treatment if you couldn't guess <laughs> but anyway I feel like there it's a level of safety that is shifting thankfully but there are still so many Communities and parts of the world and parts of this country where it isn't as safe and comfortable for people to be out. But thankfully, it's becoming more and more common. And that's what we need for representation for more and more people to feel comfortable being themselves. Only one in five bisexual people are out to all of their family members compared to three in five gay men and lesbians. And I totally get this. So, as a bi woman who is with a cisgender man i came out when i was with max i don't really feel the need to tell everybody about my sexuality because i don't want to get a lot of questions and comments and judgments and things like that but i'm also not hiding it so if there's a conversation about it i will i'll mention it like i'm not going to hide it but i also feel like it's not something that i feel like I need to call my family members and come out to them or anything like that. It's just a fact about me that you will learn and discover as you get to know me. If the conversation comes up, it's not something that I'm hiding. But I also don't feel like I need to go out of my way with certain people in my life to be like, by the way, I'm also into girls. It just seems a little strange for me, at least in my personal life right now. Bi people are often a forgotten part of the LGBTQ plus community and can face double discrimination from both the straight and the gay communities. All of this is what I'm going to be discussing coming up in this episode. But first, let's talk about what bisexual erasure is. There is a long history of bisexual erasure, which is a tendency to ignore, remove, falsify, or re-explain evidence of bisexuality in history, academia, and by the public. Bi-erasure could stem from a belief that bisexual people do not deserve equal status or inclusion within the gay and lesbian community as well. And there are some major tropes that really play into why this bisexual erasure is such an issue. And there are these certain beliefs about what it means to be a bisexual person, particularly in a relationship so the first one is infidelity. There's a belief that bisexual people are cheaters and cannot be monogamous. The second is that they have to pick a side. Bisexuality is just a waiting place until you decide if you're gay or straight. You've got to pick one. There is no in between. And the third is that They are a horrible partner. I mean, yes, due to the fact that they can't be faithful and are indecisive in these people's eyes, yeah, they'd be a pretty bad partner. They make bisexual people seem like manipulators a lot in television, film, and other parts of the media because I feel like it is a lot of people's inherent fears as to whether or not a bisexual person can be satisfied by just one person. It's expected of someone who's attracted to multiple genders to never feel satisfied with just one, which would make it impossible to have a monogamous relationship with a bisexual or pan person. But with that same argument, wouldn't we then believe that straight women can't be monogamous because other men exist? As a bisexual cis woman in a relationship with a cis man, I can tell you that I feel full satisfaction from my relationship because... It's not based on my partner's genitalia, but due to our love, our connection, and how well we work together as a team. I'm not looking for anybody else. I'm good. But does being with a cis man now make all of my previous attractions to women void? No. Do I still find women attractive? Yes. Am I at all interested in stepping out on my relationship? No. That sounds fucking exhausting. But why is it so hard for so many people to understand? It's believed that people will often deny bisexuality because a lot of people struggle from black and white thinking. Brian A. Feinstein, PhD, said, I think for some people it's hard to get their heads around this idea that sexual orientation doesn't have to be either or, that it's not only being attracted to people of the same gender or people of another gender, but that you could be attracted to more than one different type of person. Put simply by Lauren B. Beach, Ph.D., bisexual erasure comes from a, quote, westernized social obsession with binary. The bisexual community has talked about erasure for decades, and the concept has spread into mainstream culture. Beach says, if you go through the history of depictions of bisexuality in the press and in media, the themes that come over and over and over is that bisexuality is a new sexual orientation when it's not
0: Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.
1: So in that case, let's go through some examples of bisexual erasure in media, television, film, and so on. In film and TV, you'll often see a bisexual character who is likely to cheat on their partners and are incapable of commitment. Typically, it's a female protagonist who is engaged or married to a man, but then she meets a lesbian woman and begins an affair with them, leaving the protagonist torn between two lovers. Now, the first example that came to my mind was Piper from Orange is the New Black, who is married to Larry at the beginning of the series, but when she goes to prison, she runs into her ex-girlfriend, Alex, and they pick up with their relationship. Piper must now decide if she wants to stay with her husband on the outside or go back to Alex. It's often for a bisexual character to be in a serious relationship when they come to the realization that they're bi. Wait, am I a walking stereotype? I actually kind of wonder if there's something to this because I feel like... There is something about being in a safe and comfortable relationship that makes you feel like you're able to be more open and expressive about yourself because I truly do feel like it was because of the people around me in my life that I felt the need to suppress my sexuality or refer to myself as not being fully straight or you know kind of tiptoeing around certain things because I didn't want to make other people in my life feel uncomfortable but then once I found someone that I felt really comfortable with When I began surrounding myself with people who were very accepting of me and whatever I had to say about myself, that's when I felt that I could explore that even within myself in a safe and comfortable space and then take that step to be able to tell other people. And telling other people was actually really, really frightening for me at the time, even though I had a feeling that it wouldn't even be a big deal to most people To me, I really, really worried about people's perceptions of me and my relationship for this exact reason. And you know what? Bisexual people deserve better and bisexual characters deserve better, damn it. They deserve better than always being portrayed as cheaters because this reinforces that idea onto society as a whole and can create a strain in a relationship where one person identifies as bisexual. When the protagonist is in conflict with her sexuality, the people around her begin to wonder or straight up ask to their faces if she's a lesbian now. This is something that's seen so many times. And again, I remember this from Orange is the New Black when Piper's friend was like, so you're a lesbian now? I think that was the exact quote. And it's like, no, it doesn't work that way. In the case of the initial trope, even if the woman is married or in a committed relationship with a male-identifying person, they're still asked if they're a lesbian. In film and television, when the husband finds out, he may also call her a lesbian. It seems impossible to grasp that a person could be attracted to both men and women or otherwise. (laughs) I had this problem, as I've mentioned in my last relationship, with my ex being obsessed with the fact that he thought that I was a secret lesbian or something. In some instances, the female protagonist may not actually be bi, but that would be the exception, and that's not really helpful for lesbian representation either. It's important to say that for some, bisexuality is a comfortable place for people to be while they're trying to accept that they're gay or lesbian, and there's nothing wrong with that either. A reminder that sexuality is fluid. People who identify as bi or pan, they aren't on the fence. They're on both sides of the fence. Nor are they confused. Bisexuality is not a conflict that needs resolving. It's just a state of being. (laughs) The horrible husband trope is often shown in bisexual film and TV as the protagonist husband is either abusive or passive or maybe just plain boring, thus being portrayed as the antagonist of the story. In contrast, the lesbian woman treats her so much better and gives the attention she deserves. Sometimes, it's as though these films are saying that lesbianism is the cure for all dissatisfying heterosexual relationships. This makes it seem like bisexual women can only be happy with another woman, because men are terrible. It also plays into the trope of picking a side, almost telling bi and pan people that they should be lesbians. (laughs) All of this is for dramatic entertainment, of course, with no real intention of representing sexuality with genuine care. But isn't that the problem? Representation is so fucking important. And showing healthy relationships with people who are queer is super important. Because of the focus on picking a side, bisexuality itself is rarely even uttered or spoken in the media. Most of the time in Orange is the New Black, Piper is described as either a lesbian or straight, depending on who she's with or who she's talking to. The word bisexual wasn't even uttered until one of the later seasons. And one of the biggest erasures is the portrayal of bisexual men. According to GLAAD's 2021-2022 Where Are We On TV report, queer representation on TV reached an all-time high, and bisexual representation increased by 1% over just that year. This included 9 bisexual non-binary characters, 124 bisexual women, and 50 bisexual men. And it's not even the number that's the problem here, because that's way more than the non-binary category, but this article in GLAAD discusses the low quality of the bisexual male characters in media. The article says, Many are relegated to supporting and recurring characters at best, and stuck in tropes at worst. This is most certainly due to the machismo culture we have in this world that men ought to be manly men, and if they aren't manly men, then they have to sway all the way to the other side and be super, super flamboyantly gay. For some reason, a bisexual or pansexual man makes people uncomfortable, and they want to see them either on one side or the other for them to be able to wrap their heads around who this person is and for them to feel comfortable with them. And I think that that's a real issue that could probably be resolved with more representation of bisexual men on our screens to be able to show what's possible. With that, let's get into some examples of bisexual characters on TV. First, let's talk about Samantha Jones from Sex and the City and Sex in the City and bisexuality as a whole here. Samantha Jones once said she would fuck anything that moves. Samantha Jones is a non-monogamist who just wants sex and no commitment, and that is fine. Go off Sam. And she is the only character on a show about sex to have sex with someone of the same sex. I just said the word sex a lot in one sentence. That was fun. Early in the running of the show, Samantha said, Soon, everyone will be pansexual. It won't matter if you're gay or straight, just if you're good or bad in bed. Now, my first reaction to this is like, wow, what a progressive quote by Samantha that was most likely in an episode from the early 2000s. Now, it's more likely that Samantha is saying that she only cares about sexual pleasure, not sexual attractions. I didn't go back and watch the episode. In another episode, one that I remember very, very clearly is when Carrie dates a man who she discovers is bisexual and she doesn't handle it very maturely. Carrie says to her gal pals, I'm not even sure that bisexuality exists. I think it's just a layover on the way to gay town. Miranda also refers to bisexuality as greedy double dipping. And Charlotte said that bisexual men are the reason there are no single men left for them to date. Oh, come on. I mean, that episode aired in 2000, but still. Moving on with our older television shows that had some problematic representation of bisexuality, let's move on to Will and Grace. I would actually really love to do a full episode on Will and Grace maybe for Pride Month, I'm not sure, because there's so many positives that this show did for the gay community in particular, and bringing it to so many different people's homes that wouldn't have experienced that type of lifestyle or whatever you want to call it in the 90s and so on and so forth. It was very, very groundbreaking. But unfortunately, even though it is very, very pro-gay and lesbian, it's not so pro-bisexual. And this really shows where there can be some discrimination from the LGBTQ plus community itself. In the show Will & Grace, they too reinforce the belief that bi and pansexuality is a rest stop on the way to being gay. The show was one of the many 90s shows to get a reboot over the last few years, and in an episode from 2020 entitled Biplane, the show attempts to address its bi erasure. In the episode, Grace's niece Fiona visits her and brings along her boyfriend Trevor, who is described on a TVLine.com article as flamboyant with a love of musicals. Will and Grace first assume that Trevor is Fiona's gay bestie, but they're shocked to discover that Trevor is actually Fiona's boyfriend and that he is bisexual. What follows is a lot of biphobic jokes and punchlines with neither Will nor Grace believing that Trevor is actually bi. Will proclaims bisexuality isn't even a thing and compares it to people saying they're a cat and a dog person. Hey, I like cats and dogs. When trying to connect with Trevor, Will tells him that sometimes saying you're bi is, quote, a safe half step when you're scared to jump all the way in, implying that Trevor is actually gay. Later, Will explicitly tells Trevor, you're not bisexual. You're gay. You can't do that, Will. He goes on again about how he believes Trevor is only with a woman because of societal pressure and claims that, quote, the B's and the Q's just haven't figured out if they're an L or a G yet. Now, For a little bit of backstory, I wasn't thinking about this when I wrote these notes, but the way that the show Will and Grace starts is that Will and Grace are in a romantic relationship with each other and then Will comes out to her that he is gay and they break off their romantic relationship and they stay best of friends and that's kind of what the show is based on so it does seem like Will in this case is probably looking at Trevor and seeing a lot of himself in Trevor and putting a lot of his own trauma on this kid and making him come out and saying he's gay and all of this stuff because that was his experience but I don't feel like it was made super clear in that episode that that's kind of what they were doing with it I do remember watching this episode I did watch the reboot because it was the pandemic and I would watch anything (laughs) and what's really upsetting as well is that Grace chimes in and really seems to agree with Will but she's just not quite as outspoken about it this episode rings true to so many bisexual people, I'm sure, who have been told their whole lives that bisexuality isn't real. I think that's the biggest reason that I didn't understand my own sexuality for the longest time and still fear people's reactions when I discuss it sometimes. It's also really hurtful to see how much biphobia comes from within the LGBTQ community as ideally that's the group of people that should be the most accepting and safe. I feel like a lot of times I don't belong to the LGBTQ plus community because I came out so late in life because I'm with a man. I don't really live an openly queer lifestyle. I feel like I'm a little too privileged to be a part of it. It's kind of a complicated thing for me but I feel like it's something that will evolve in time as well as I you know meet different people and begin you know I don't know just exploring different parts of my life I have a friend who I'm not really sure what she defines her sexuality as but she I've known her since we were like itty-bitty kids like five or six years old and we grew up skating together she's in Disney on ice and she's always dated men And now she's been with a woman for the past like three or four years. And I love her. I love her girlfriend. I've met the girlfriend now. We got together and I was talking to them a little bit about my coming out and my sexuality and things like that. It was really nice to feel comforted by them and to feel accepted by them and I've never been to Pride I still haven't and I don't really know who to ask to go with like I just feel kind of uncomfortable but my friend was like oh I'll be back in LA and I'll take you to Pride it's gonna be fun and I was really excited but unfortunately she had to go to Japan for Disney on Ice (laughs) boo-hoo go off girl (laughs) but yeah I I have experienced that a lot myself, and I think that a lot of it is an internal battle I have because I do feel like I I hold a lot of privilege in that community with who I'm with, so I don't really know what my level of involvement should be. One more example of bi erasure within the show Will & Grace is seen in the character of Karen Walker. Her possibly being bi has been a long-running gag from the show's initial run. But in one more recent episode from the reboot, Karen unequivocally comes out as straight. This episode was shot kind of like an opposite of the puppy episode on the Ellen DeGeneres show. I believe we've talked about this. (laughs) Keegan covered Ellen as a feminist fave before all of the problematic shit came out about her and
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: All right. The next characters slash TV show I want to talk about are Blaine and Kurt from the show Glee. So I was into Glee for the first couple of seasons, like when I was in high school. I think it came out when I was like a junior in high school, So I watched it like my junior and senior year. And then I watched it, I think, my first year living in L.A. But then once they started getting into all the pop hits and stuff and they weren't getting into like the Journey songs anymore and the songs that I really like, I lost interest and I thought some of it was kind of bizarre. I actually think the last episode that I ever watched was that uh, episode where the clip has now gone viral where Artie, who's in a wheelchair, gets pushed into the pool. (laughs) Pretty sure that was my last drop. I was like, I can't do this show anymore. I'm done. So there are a lot of LGBTQ plus characters on this show. That was one of the reasons why it was so groundbreaking. And one of the first gay characters on the show was Kurt. And at some point, he begins dating another man named Blaine. In one episode, the character Blaine is shown to be questioning his sexuality and the possibility that he might be bi. Kurt, a character who identifies strictly as gay, tells Blaine bisexual is a term gay guys use in high school when they want to hold hands with girls and feel normal for a change. Oof. Also in Glee, when Santana, who identifies as being a lesbian, begins dating another lesbian character, she is relieved that she doesn't have to worry about straying for penis with her, as she used to date a bisexual woman, and she had to apparently keep tabs on her leaving her for a man, or she felt that way. You know, we can do better, Ryan Murphy— Next up is Jennifer from Jennifer's Body. I think this is the only movie example that I have here. If you are interested in hearing more about Jennifer's Body and talking about the entire movie, it was one of the very last episodes that Keegan and I did. We did it about a year ago. In preparation for Halloween, it's a really, really great episode. I fucking love this movie. Definitely give it a listen. But for those of you who aren't familiar with the movie and haven't listened to that episode, Jennifer is a possessed high school student who utilizes her sexuality to lure her victims to their deaths. She mostly preys on horny teenaged boys, but is unopposed to seducing her best friend, Anita, needy, in order to obtain her goal, human flesh. I, for one, think that the reason that the bisexual representation is problematic in this movie isn't so much about the eating of human flesh, but more of the fact that she is using her female friend as a form of manipulation to get what she wants from them. I don't think it was ever made clear that Jennifer was bisexual any time during the film, but it is made a little bit more clear that Needy is like totally into Jennifer. And so Jennifer probably knowing this would use that to her advantage in order to eat her friend. Anyway, next up is Paige from the show Degrassi, The Next Generation. Now this show was my shit growing up. I never missed an episode. I watched all the marathons. I got my friends super obsessed with it. I, oh, the drama. It was probably super problematic. I feel like the depictions of some of the things on that show are probably too graphic, but I digress. Let's talk a little bit about Paige in particular. Paige's character on the show was pretty insufferable to begin with. She's super pretty and popular and privileged and she's self-centered and snobby. She doesn't seem like a very good friend. But as the show went on, we begin to see deeper layers within her character. It's known from early in the series that Paige's brother is gay or she has two dads. I think it's the brother thing, but I can't really remember. And then after dating boys for many seasons, she begins seeing a girl named Alex. And Alex is kind of like the girl from the other side of the tracks. She's rough around the edges. You know, she's got black hair and wears dark makeup. And Paige is a little bit more like the cheerleader character, which makes them An odd couple to begin with, but the fact that Paige is dating a woman is like shocking to everyone on the show. And I really feel like they actually do show a pretty good representation of what Paige's sexuality is while she's with Alex. But then once Alex leaves the show, Paige's sexuality is never mentioned again. Many of the characters would categorize Paige as being a lesbian when she was with Alex, but then once Alex left the show, Paige was always described as being straight. There's no room for both. In a later generation of Degrassi, Miles from the next generation also experiences some biphobia. There are two male-identifying characters named Tristan and Miles who are in an on-again, off-again relationship, and when they're on one of their off times, Tristan lashes out at Miles and tells him, "'Decisive my ass, you can't even decide if you like boys or girls.'" And when he talks to Miles about having been with women in the past, he calls him a man-whore and said, Yeah, is there another name for someone who humps anything that moves? Ouch. Then, when Tristan has an STI scare, his first reaction was to assume that he got it from Miles, even though Tristan himself has had numerous sexual partners. Ugh, this just seems problematic as hell. I watched a little bit of this generation of Degrassi as well, and I remembered this relationship a little bit, but I don't remember all of these examples. But like, ugh, not a good look. Really, really nasty things to say. But also I think it's probably a good thing to show, and I hope that in those episodes there was a resolution for Miles to be able to stand up for himself and to you know, come clear in his sexuality. I think overall, Degrassi does a pretty good job of telling pretty realistic stories of different types of teenagers and different experiences and things like that. Next up is Marissa from The O.C. For some reason, I never got into The O.C., even though literally everyone in my life was obsessed with it. And it was like the biggest show ever when I was growing up. But I do remember hearing about the character Marissa dating a woman on the show. And I saw this example online as well. So Marissa's mother, in a conversation with another woman, complains about having a lesbian daughter. The friend is all like, Marissa? And the mom is like, well, I'm sure it's just a phase. And this is something that I feel is especially common for young people exploring their sexuality because kids just aren't taken seriously in this topic because they're seen as too young to know who they really are. But at the same time, we expect literal children to choose a major and decide what they want to do for the rest of their lives. But yes, definitely question who they're attracted to. And let's talk about a few real world examples as well and how the media reacts to certain celebrities and people in the public eye who are bisexual. When Annie DeFranco married Andrew Gilcrest in 1998, she was portrayed in both straight and gay media as renouncing lesbianism, even though she had been out as bisexual since the very beginning of her career. Madonna has called herself bisexual in interviews and has frequently engaged in public acts of same-sex intimacy with other female celebs. Whether it's as a publicity stunt or not, we don't really know, as her antics are usually portrayed in the media as a heterosexual woman dabbling in lesbianism for pure shock value, with any idea of her being genuinely bisexual discounted entirely. And I think that is kind of the issue with bi erasure as well, is that There is this idea of the male gaze, particularly when it comes to bisexual women, and this portrayal of being gay or lesbian for a man's benefit. It's really, really bizarre to think about this. But when I was in high school, it was kind of a weird thing at parties where like if guys were going to give girls a beer they would make them kiss each other first and then they would like give them a drink and such I'm so glad that I was not really a part of the party culture much when I was in high school but uh this was everywhere there were always girls making out at parties in my high school so it was like really really normal for just like anyone to kind of hook up out in public like that but a lot of times it was done in a way to excite the men in some way or the young boys I should say at the party or to create shock value and it wasn't necessarily seen as like oh that person is a lesbian or oh that person is bisexual. It's super shitty honestly. One of the most prominent examples of I guess questioning sexuality or not understanding bisexuality would be Freddie Mercury. And a lot of this is speculation because Freddie didn't publicly discuss his sexuality publicly, which honestly, I think is a great way for him to go because he was so successful. And having that mystery, that mystique around him, I think really made him fascinating to all people both men and women loved Queen loved Freddie Mercury and he really did do a great job of transcending those barriers in a lot of ways and I wonder if part of that was because he never came out at the time and fully explained what his sexuality was in a time especially when that would have not been popular at all. According to his obituary, though, he was a self-confessed bisexual, but he was often depicted as gay in the media. And I just feel like particularly with Freddie, people tried so hard to pigeonhole him because people of his time just didn't understand him at all. Freddie died due to AIDS-related illnesses at the age of 45, never having had a real discussion about his sexuality with the public, even after his AIDS diagnosis. Freddie had a very public, serious relationship with a woman named Mary Austin in the 70s, and the two lived together for several years and even got engaged before ending their relationship. And after they broke up, they remained very, very close. The song Love of My Life is actually about Mary, and he even left her the bulk of his estate and his will when he passed away. But at the same time, he was also seen publicly with many men, both during and after his relationship with Mary. To me, Freddie is a great example of someone who seems to be very fluid. I believe that human beings can simply love other human beings without gender attached to it. And Freddie is a refreshing example of someone living authentically to that. Another example that comes to mind in a real world sense is Kristen Stewart, and she's discussed how her coming out as bisexual was confusing to other people, as she had been seen publicly linked to both men and women without coming out to her fans about her sexual identity. She once said in an interview, the whole issue of sexuality is so gray. I'm just trying to acknowledge that fluidity, that grayness, which has always existed, but maybe now are we allowed to start talking about it? Another place that there's a lot of bisexual erasure is in law, and something I never considered was how exclusive LGBTQ plus laws are to certain groups, and how using certain terms can be limiting. For example, in the fight for marriage equality, early on, and still, I say this all the time, it's referred to as gay marriage, as opposed to same-sex marriage or marriage equality. I never thought about that before, but I really think it makes a big difference. Also, a survey of recent LGBTQ plus cases found excluding a brief, brief mention of bisexuals alongside gay and lesbians in one Supreme Court opinion, bisexuality has never been mentioned in the Supreme Court opinions or briefs in a major LGBTQ plus case, which often describes just gay and lesbian people experiencing discrimination. This can lead to something called imposter syndrome in a lot of bisexual people. The Hill refers to bisexuals as the silent majority of the LGBTQ plus community. The study also shows that women are substantially more likely to come out or identify as bisexual than men. Bisexual women outnumber bisexual men 3 to 1. In my opinion, this is due to the deep roots of homophobia in men and the fact that it has always been more appropriate for women to be more physically affectionate with one another than it is for men. Michael Bronsky, a Harvard professor who also wrote the definitive queer history of the United States, says, I think women have far more permission to be open about their sexual desires than men do, no matter how men feel. So why is it then, since bisexuals make up the majority here, do we feel so invisible, invalid, like we don't belong? Imposter syndrome can be defined as feeling like a fraud or not feeling a sense of belonging, and research shows that two of the most common reasons for the feelings of imposter syndrome are biphobia and bisexual erasure or invisibility. To me, the imposter syndrome feels very tied to heteronormativity, or the concept that heterosexuality is the preferred or normal mode of sexual orientation. It also assumes gender binary and believes that marriage and relations are most fitting between people of the opposite sex. Is that where opposites attract really came from? Are they pushing heteronormativity onto us? On the flip side, there is an underlying fear in the LGBTQ plus community that bisexuals may hurt the movement, either because it's believed that bisexuals enjoy heterosexual privilege, which can certainly be true, or that they had less to lose or gain than lesbian women or gay men. I read an article in The Independent that said, I have often noticed that bi erasure is something people sneer or joke about. Don't get me wrong, I get it. A privileged white woman dating a man complaining about being erased? Cry me a river. Bi people often second-guess themselves over and over and over again, and often have to come out over and over and over again as well, as they feel the pushback of biphobia, which can be incredibly draining. Sexuality is often assumed based on who the person is dating. If a bi woman is dating another woman, she is assumed to be a lesbian. If a bi woman is dating a man, she is assumed to be straight. Why is it that for bisexuals, our dating history holds more importance than our attraction and our feelings? (laughs) I feel like we're definitely moving in the right direction. And I do agree that there is a lot of privilege, particularly with myself being bisexual. I feel like as being a white, cisgender, bisexual woman I have a lot more privilege than, say, maybe a man of color who identifies as being bisexual. Those are two very different experiences. And I feel like we do really, really, truly need more representation, real world representation of people coming out even when they're in relationships later in life, showing different experiences of what it means to be queer and to be bisexual so that people can normalize it a little bit in their brains we do have such this binary mode in our brains particularly in this country when it comes to gender when it comes to sexuality and we are slowly but surely hopefully chipping away at that idea and allowing more fluidity to come into the world and the only way that that can happen is by people being themselves by them being represented on our film screens on our television sets in the books we read in the people that we admire and look up to telling true historical biographies of bisexual people who have existed through time instead of you know whitewashing their sexuality and their experiences I think all of this is very important in order for all of it to be more normalized and more accepting so to sum up stay visible you bisexual beasts be you as loudly and as proudly as you feel comfortable with remember that sexuality is fluid and discovering yourself no matter what aspect of life is a journey give yourself space to change and grow Be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. Alrighty, happy bisexual visibility week, everybody. I really enjoyed this episode because I feel like it really gave me an opportunity to do some more self-discovery and that was really beneficial to me in a lot of ways. And it's been such an interesting journey with you all on this show throughout different stages of my life. It really is interesting as you know we're reaching almost six years of your angry neighborhood feminist if you can believe it or not and you've really seen me through a lot of different things and I feel like further discussing my own experiences and also hopefully speaking on what a lot of other people that are listening may be feeling as well. Hopefully you felt some sense of support during this episode. If you have experienced any biphobia in your life, I'm here for you. I love you. Keep being you. You're the best. All right. I'm about to go to CVS and see if I can get an actual copy of the People Magazine article featuring India for our podcast. My name is in it. You know, I'm going to have to like frame it somehow and put it in our recording space. If you haven't listened to Still Learning the podcast yet, definitely go check it out anywhere that you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in getting even more Madigan, you can join me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Feminist. You can join the Angry Feminist book club for $5 a month. You will be getting the next episode covering the Feminine Mystique this coming thursday and if you want to get some bonus stuff get these episodes ad free and get them a little bit earlier than everyone else you can join the feminist faves for eight dollars a month lastly if you enjoy the show and you think others will too share an episode with a friend or go wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review it truly does make a huge huge difference and i really appreciate it All right, again, I feel like I'm forgetting something, but I think that's it. That's all I have for you today. With all that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Bye.
0: Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling-medical-investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth.